Welcome to the intersection of faith and the culture. It's the Wall Builders Show, where we are taking on the hot topics of the day from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective. I'm Rick Green, America's Constitution coach and former Texas legislator, here with David and Tim Barton, David Barton, America's premier historian and our founder at Wall Builders. Tim's a national speaker and pastor and president of Wall Builders, and he's also giving a presentation at the Pro Family Legislators Conference, but we're playing it here on the Wall Builders Show. Now, he gave it a few weeks ago, but we wanted to bring it to you. We did that last week, actually, one of his presentations. And, uh, and this week, for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we are sharing with you another of his presentations. So if you missed yesterday, it's available right now at our website, which, as we mentioned yesterday, is a new link. It's wallbuilders.show, wallbuilders.show, and that's where you can get the archives of our radio program. You can also um, get summaries of the programs. You can share it with your friends and family. Check it out today, wallbuilders.show. But for now, let's jump right back into Tim's presentation at the Pro Family Legislators Conference, picking up where we left off yesterday. If you look at Benjamin Franklin in 1773, he wrote a letter to the Reverend Dean Woodward. He explained, a disposition to abolish slavery prevails in North America that many of Pennsylvanians have set their slaves at liberty. Even the Virginia Assembly have petitioned the king for permission to make a law for preventing the importation of more into that colony. This is 1773. He says, we're already setting our slaves free. This is before the Declaration. That this movement is already going. He says, we're setting our slave free in Pennsylvania. Virginia, they're actually trying to stop the slave trade. Now, what happens? This request, however, will probably not be granted as their former laws of that kind have always been repealed. Most students, especially today, they're learning nothing of the anti-slavery movement or momentum that was happening that led to the largest grievance in the original draft now that did not make it into the final version. Why? Because in the, the final version of the declaration, John Hancock, who was the president of Congress, said they would only include in the final version what was unanimously agreed to. He said, because if we put things in there where there's disagreement, the king might be able to come in and pull us apart by our own local separate interests. So it has to be unanimous. Jefferson wrote that as they were debating over the declaration, they got to the anti-slavery grievance, which he was pretty clear that was the one he thought was the most important. As they got to that grievance, he said there were two colonies that opposed it. Georgia and South Carolina said that up to that point, they had not tried to do anything against the slave trade or slavery. So they didn't think that grievance needed to be included because that wasn't a problem they had with the king. Jefferson lamented in his writings, he lamented that there were not more founding fathers from the Northern states who tried more ardently to convince the Southern founding fathers from Georgia and South Carolina to join because he said, we could have ended that evil in that moment had they joined. Now they didn't, so it didn't make it in the final draft. However, it's worth noting, 11 of the 13 colonies voted in favor of it. The vast majority of founding fathers are on record, not just in this vote, like in their lifetime, multiple things we can point to for all of them, they're on the record being anti-slavery. Most people don't know, but this is why, let me go back to Benjamin Franklin, super easy example. You know why no historian considers Benjamin Franklin a racist, even though he owned slaves? Because not only was he one of the ones in Pennsylvania who freed his slaves even before the declaration, he was the one arguing and promoting the abolition movement because 11 years later, when he is at the Constitutional Convention, he, he's one of those founding fathers who not only signs the declaration, he's there at the Constitution signing the Constitution. At the time he's at the Constitutional Convention, he was also the president of the Pennsylvania Abolition Society that was seeking to end slavery, not just in Pennsylvania, but in all 13 colonies. This is a guy who had slaves, freed his slaves, becomes a president of an abolition society. And by the way, I could tell you that story for many founding fathers, but today we don't hear the story of the abolitionists. 
We hear the story that all of America's racist. That is just dumb on lots of levels, right? I mean, genuinely, the vast majority of the founding fathers came out against slavery, and yet we're telling students, well, they can't memorize the declaration because it's racist. No, it's not. It is the opposite of racist if you would do a little research and do your homework. But we're not telling kids that today, so kids are thinking we're the most racist there's ever been. But let me, let, me, let me also walk you back to another thought. The founding fathers said we owe these truths to be self-evident. That means they thought these truths were obvious. Well, here's an important time to ask a question. Obvious to who? Because they weren't obvious to the king. That's why we were separating. It's interesting. Because as Americans, we generally think, well, like, yeah, these truths are obvious. It's obvious we're created equal. It's not obvious to most of the world. India still has a class system to this day, right? I mean, the, the people that believe in reincarnation, you come back and it's based on your class and your level. If you go to any major Muslim nation in the Middle East or Africa, they don't believe in equality between men and women or between Islam and any other faith. I mean, equality is not a normal thought for most of the world. Do you think Putin believes in God-given rights? Do you think they believe in God-given rights in China, North Korea, Saudi Arabia? I mean, really? Well, we're pretty naive that we think, oh, these are universally understood truths. No, they're not. These truths are only understood by people who know the Bible. When the founding fathers said, we hold these truths to be self-evident, it's because they were so influenced by the Bible it is so shaped their thinking. They were like, guys, this truth is obvious. Well, where do we get the idea that we're created equal? It's Genesis 1, 26 and 27, that God made them in his image. Male and female, he created them. And also worth note, the Bible never tells us what shape, size, or color Adam and Eve were. You know why? Because it doesn't matter. When we are seeing a culture that is saying, based on the group you are in, right? Based on how you identify and we're placing value on that. You can know that is one of the most ungodly, unchristian things ever. Why? Because remember what the apostle Paul said, that in Christ, there's no Jew or Gentile. There's no male or female. There's no Scythian slave or free. We are all one in Christ. See, this notion of created equal, that is a Christian idea. That is a Bible idea. It's not a universal world idea. All right, folks, quick break today. Stay with us. You're listening to The Wall Builder Show. We're sharing a presentation from Tim Barton at the Pro Family Legislators Conference. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Tim Barton with Wall Builders. And as you've had the opportunity to listen to Wall Builders Live, you've probably heard the wealth of information about our nation, about our spiritual heritage, about the religious liberties, about all the things that makes America exceptional. And you might be thinking, as incredible as this information is, I wish there was a way that I could get one of the Wall Builders guys to come to my area and share with my group, whether it be a church, whether it be a Christian school or public school or some political event or activity. If you're interested in having a Wall Builder speaker come to your area, you can get on our website at www.wallbuilders.com and there's a tab for scheduling. And if you'll click on that tab, you'll notice there's a list of information from speakers' bios to events that are already going on. And there's a section where you can request an event to bring this information about who we are, where we came from, our religious liberties and freedoms. Go to the Wall Builders website and bring a speaker to your area. Welcome back to the Wall Builder Show. We're listening to Tim Barton teaching at the Pro Family Legislators Conference. We're going to jump right back in. This is the influence of the Bible. Where do we get the idea that there was God-given rights? The founding fathers are pretty clear about this. They have pointed out from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, you begin to see God-given rights. Why? Because God gave Adam and Eve not only the freedom of speech, 
he gave them the freedom of choice when it came to religion because they could choose God or not choose God. They could choose what they're going to eat from. And where God, God began giving rights to man from the very beginning. This notion of God-given rights is clearly identified in scripture. There was not somebody micromanaging. No, God gave rights to people. Where did we get the idea that government exists to protect our God-given rights? Because the very first ever civil ordinance ever recorded in scripture where God gives man directives, how should government operate? When Noah gets off the ark at Mount Ararat, it was part of what became known as the Noahide laws and Noahic covenant. But what God tells Noah is if man sheds blood, by man his blood will be shed. So if somebody comes and murders, God tells Noah, we're not gonna allow that to happen anymore, right? So you're gonna get people together, you're gonna figure this out and you're gonna get rid of that guy. The reason was because if someone was coming and murdering, they were violating your right to life. So we're not gonna let that, government exists to protect your God-given rights. These are all ideas from the Bible. And, and even saying, right, that the declaration the founding fathers are influenced by the Bible might be a different thought for a lot of culture today. It used to be so obvious historically. I can point to so many historic examples, but Clinton Rosser is an easy one. He was a professor at Cornell University. He wrote a book called The Seed Time of the Republic. And in this book, he identified, he said that the, the six people who were the most influential coming up with the ideas that led to American liberty, he said that the six main thought leaders or the guys that promoted the main ideas, he said it was Benjamin Franklin, Richard Bland, the Reverend Thomas Hooker, the Reverend Roger Williams, the Reverend John Wise, and the Reverend Jonathan Mayhew. He said those six guys are the ones that came up with the ideas that led to American freedom and liberty. Let's point out that four of those six are pastors. Historians used to know, where did the founding fathers get their ideas? From their pastors. Because we used to know the influence of the Bible was so significant in American culture. The influence of the pastor was so significant. These guys were shaped by the Bible. And let me give you a breakdown of this. If I just take John Wise as a super easy example, and I'm again using him because he's the easiest example because it's so obvious. John Wise was a pastor from Ipswich, Massachusetts in the late 1600s, early 1700s. In 1717, there was a book of sermons that came out, and, and, and specifically, there's a couple of sermons in there that became very significant, two sermons, and in those sermons, he actually identified in those sermons that taxation without representation is tyranny. He also taught that God's preferred form of government was the consent of the governed, and then he went further and said that all men are created equal and have certain inalienable rights that have been given to them by their creator. All of those phrases are verbatim in the Declaration of Independence. But his sermons were from 1717. So how do these two sermons from 1717 make it to the founding fathers? Because in 1772, they were reprinted by the Sons of Liberty. Because the Sons of Liberty, as they're trying to rally and get Americans together, one of them said, you know what? I think if people, if, if people would just read these sermons from John Wise, I think it would so help them to understand where we're coming from. So they printed the sermons and they distributed the sermons to all 13 colonies. What's also quite interesting is when you look at the founding fathers coming together in 1776, it is fascinating how many founding fathers in their writings talk about John Wise or in their libraries had the sermons of John Wise. Nearly every single one. So what we also can say is virtually every single founding father not only heard the name of John Wise, they had read the sermons of John Wise. So when they get together in 1776 and they do the declaration, they knew exactly who John Wise was, what these sermons were, and they were influenced to the point that there are verbatim phrases from his sermons that appear in the Declaration of Independence. 
This is the influence. And this, again, this used to be so well known. Historians used to talk about this. B.F. Morris in 1864 said some of the most glittering sentences and the immortal Declaration of Independence are almost literal quotations from this essay of John Wise. It was used as a political textbook in the great struggle for freedom. Historians used to know that like this was obvious. Everybody knows. The founding fathers were influenced by their pastors. Everybody knows this. Well, to point out how obvious it was, 150 years after the Declaration of Independence, Calvin Coolidge was president. He went to Independence Hall and he gave a speech on the 150th anniversary of the Declaration. And, and his speech is online. It actually is a really good speech. Totally worth going back and reading. If you ever want to have some maybe outlines of a really good speech, you could deliver one day. Go read this one. It's a real good one. Well, Calvin Coolidge, one of the things he pointed out in his speech, he said the thoughts in the Declaration can very largely be traced back to what John Wise was writing. Here was the doctrine of equality, of popular sovereignty, and inalienable rights asserted by Wise. Where did they get their ideas? From their pastor, John Wise. Now, again, as we talk about this, a lot of people don't think about like founding fathers being influenced by the Bible. It's because we don't know them anymore. Sam Adams, if, if, you, ask, if you ask a college student today, tell me one thing you know about Sam Adams. All college kids know about Sam Adams is that that's the beer guy, right? Which is a really sad thought of his legacy. He was known as the father of the American Revolution, okay? He was one of the leaders uh, of this movement early on. Well, when we think about the Sons of Liberty, he was one of the leaders of the Sons of Liberty. And we usually think about the Sons of Liberty with like the Boston Tea Party, some of those moments. Well, even before the Boston Tea Party, one of the ideas they came up with was the Committees of Correspondence because they wanted to try to get everybody on the same page. And right I mean, back then, right there, there, there is no kind of a group me. There's no right mass text message. There's no group email. So they said, okay, we're going to write this. They called them a circular. We're going to write this letter and we're going to circulate it through all the colonies. Quick break, everybody. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Wall Builder Show. Hi, friends. This is Tim Barton of Wall Builders. This is a time when most Americans don't know much about American history or even Hebrews of the faith. And I know oftentimes for parents, we're trying to find good content for our kids to read. And if you remember back to the Bible, to the book of Hebrews, it has the Faith Hall of Fame where they outline the leaders of faith that had gone before them. Well, this is something that as Americans, we really want to go back and outline some of these heroes, not just of American history, but heroes of Christianity and our faith as well. I want to let you know about some biographical sketches we have available on our website. One is called the Courageous Leaders Collection. In this collection, it includes people like Abigail Adams, Abraham Lincoln, Francis Scott Key, George Washington Carver, Susanna Wesley, even the Wright brothers. And there's a second collection called Heroes of History. In this collection, you'll read about people like Benjamin Franklin or Christopher Columbus, Daniel Boone, George Washington, Harriet Tubman, Friends, the list goes on and on. This is a great collection for your young person to have and read, and it's a providential view of American and Christian history. This is available at wallbuilders.com. That's www.wallbuilders.com. Welcome back to The Wall Builder Show. We're in the middle of a three-part series with Tim Barton teaching and speaking at the Pro-Family Legislators Conference. Let's jump right back in. Sam Adams wrote the very first ever Committee of Correspondence. I would highly encourage you to look it up. The very first ever Committee of Correspondence had three parts. It was the rights of the colonists as men, the rights of the colonists as Christians, and the rights of the colonists as British subjects. Because what he pointed out is the king is violating our rights on every level possible, right? He's violating our rights just as men. The rights we should have is because we're, we're men, he's violating our rights as Christians. What we should be able to do as Christians. And then the king actually had 
suppressed and removed the British Bill of Rights for American colonists. It said, you don't have that Bill of Rights anymore. That's only for people living over here. So there was lots of things they're dealing with. But I want to highlight his second portion of this was the rights of the colonists as Christians. And his opening line, now again, this is the very first Committee of Correspondence ever done. He's trying to get everybody on the same page. This is his opening line from the second part, the rights of the colonists as Christians. He said, the rights of the colonists as Christians may be best understood by reading and carefully studying the Institutes of the Great Lawgiver and Head of the Christian Church, which will be found clearly written and promulgated in the New Testament. His starting line is, you want to understand this perspective, you should read your Bible and study the life of Jesus. That's a pretty strong position from a founding father. Well, this was actually a pretty consistent thought from the founding fathers. The problem is today, we know so little of their writings and we know so little of their story that we don't recognize how much they were actually influenced by the Bible and by their pastors. But let me take a super, super easy example to give you a connection from the founding fathers in the Bible. A name that we are all familiar with is John Adams. Now, John Adams noted for lots of reasons, but John Adams has several interesting things that he says about the Bible and Christianity. One of the things he identified, he said, I've examined all religions and the result is that the Bible is the best book in the world. Now, this is interesting to me for a couple of reasons. Most Christians don't even know what the Bible says, right? Much less could they defend what the Bible says. And they certainly don't know what other world religions believe. He said, I've examined them all. There, there is a reason you should have more confidence being a Christian than anything else in life. There is more proof, more evidence. If you've never been to Israel, it's amazing. Well, like change your mind forever about the the reasonability of our faith. There's 37,000 archaeological sites in Israel, 5,000 pertaining to Bible era related things. They have yet to find a single archaeological discovery in Israel that contradicts anything in the Bible. There is a reason to have great confidence in your faith. He said, I've examined them all. There's nothing like the Bible. This is absolutely true. This is a founding father doing something that most Christians have never done, which I also could point out, most Christians have never even read the Bible cover to cover right? That this was a very common practice for them. He said, there's nothing like the Bible. Well, let me go further. Because one of the things he wrote is suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their only law book and every member should regulate his conduct by the precepts they're exhibited. What does that mean? Imagine if there was a place, he said, he said, just imagine if there was a place and all they did was just follow the Bible. What would that place look like? Here's what he concluded. What a utopia, what a paradise would this region be? If they would just follow the Bible. Now we could point out right? Even yesterday when Pastor Rob McCoy was helping us learn the Ten Commandments, right? Using our fingers going through. Yeah. If Chicago would just learn the Ten Commandments, their weekends would be a whole lot better, right? Now we could say that for many of the major cities in our nation, but this is the reality is if we would just get people following some basic principles of the Bible, he would make it so much better. That's what he concluded. Well, his son, John Quincy Adams, very significant for lots of reasons, became the sixth president, but but he grew up in the founding era. Here's one of the things he wrote about his perspective of the Bible. He said, with regard to the history contained in the Bible, it's not so much praiseworthy to be acquainted with it as it is shameful to be ignorant of it. He said, you know, it's not really impressive to know the Bible. It's embarrassing not to know the Bible. That is the exact opposite in our culture today. Because today, we are really impressed with people that know the Bible. Right? I mean, the reason that we appreciate our, our spiritual leaders and the ones that we respect and follow and we listen in their podcasts and we read what they write. The reason we respect them is because of how well they know the Bible, right? That, that is the influence that we so value. 
But today, if you don't know the Bible, it just means you fit in with basically everybody else. Here's where I want to give you perspective on this. If I asked anybody in the room today, what's two plus two, it would not be impressive for any educated adult to know what's two plus two, but it would be embarrassing for you not to know what should be obvious. This was their perspective about the Bible. If you don't know what should be obvious, like how embarrassing would that be? Well, I can tell you, I think there's a lot of Christians that should be way more embarrassed than they are. Because to not know the book that we say we base our life on, like that, that should be embarrassing. Like how, how, how foolish or silly would it be if we're like, you know what? I base my life on the Lord of the Rings because I heard it's a really great trilogy. I've never read it, but I heard good things about it. That's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous to say we base our life on a book that we're not intimately familiar with. This was his perspective, but that's the way it was at that time in early America. Now it's also worth knowing or even asking, where did he come up with these ideas that he obviously had an influence from his parents, culture around him, but his mom and dad were incredible. All right, folks, one more break today. Stay with us. You're listening to The Wobbler Show. This is Tim Barton from Wall Builders with another moment from American history. American patriot Paul Revere wrote to alert Americans of the impending arrival of the British, but he also sought patriot leaders Samuel Adams and John Hancock to warn them that the British were seeking their execution. Adams and Hancock were staying with the Reverend Jonas Clark in Lexington. When they asked Pastor Clark if his church was ready for the approaching British, he replied, I've trained them for this very hour. They will fight and if need be, die under the shadow of the house of God. Later that morning, 70 men from his church faced several hundred British in the first battle of the War for Independence. As Pastor Clark affirmed, the militia that morning were the same who filled the pews of the church meeting house on the Sunday morning before. The American church was regularly at the forefront of the fight for liberty. For more information on this pastor and other colonial patriots, go to wallbuilders.com. Welcome back to The Wobbler Show. We are listening to Tim Barton teaching at the Pro-Family Legislators Conference. Let's jump right back in with him. If you are not familiar with John and Abigail Adams, they are an amazing couple for lots of reasons. There's 1,100 letters. They wrote back and forth to each other and, and really, really sweet letters. If you are a Hallmark movie person, I'm not. If you are, you should read their letters, okay? Because like, I, I actually think Hallmark may base some of their stories on these guys John Adams, there's a letter from John Adams where he says, Abigail, I'm about to suffocate because I've not seen you in over a week and you are the air that I breathe. You are my sunrise in the morning. You're my sunset in the evening. Right, and I'm like, bro, right? Like, no, I'm not trying to knock their relationship. That's awesome. I'm just more in like the John Wick spectrum of, right, my likings. So anyway, if you like Hallmark movies, go read their letters. They're great. Nonetheless, during the revolution, John Adams is one of America's top diplomats over to Europe. So John Adams is gone all the time, which means Abigail is essentially a single mom raising the kids, taking care of the farm, taking care of the business. So Abigail is rocking this whole thing by herself. Well, what's really fun is the church that their family attended is still in existence today. Outside the church, they erected a monument that shows Abigail and that's John Quincy Adams because she went leading him to church. What was very well known about the Adams family is they were going to be in church every Sunday, no matter what, right? Dad's out of the country. We're in the middle of war. It doesn't matter. We go to church. It's who we are is what we do. This is the way he grows up. 
Well, as he's growing up, as the revolution unfolds, right? You, you have the shattered around the world, then you have Concord Bridge and you have the road back to Boston. Well, then you get to the Battle of Bunker Hill. John Quincy Adams and his mom, Abigail, watched the Battle of Bunker Hill in person. They stood off on a side hill and they watched as the British charged the hill. They watched their family friend, a, a, their family doctor, they watched him, Dr. Joseph Warren, get bayoneted to death. They essentially called it a murder. That He was murdered by the British because the, the, the battle was over. He had been injured and they came up and they bayoneted him as a survivor at the end of the war. And, and so this is the way he grows up. Well, his father came home one day. Father gets a musket and gives it to John Quincy Adams, who's eight years old. And he gives it to him and says, you need to start training. Now, the Massachusetts Minutemen used to do their musket drills in front of the John Adams home. So when John Adams gives John Quincy a musket and says, you need to go start training, it was with the Massachusetts Minutemen. And as an eight-year-old, he began to do musket drills with the military. Now, that seems super young for us today, but I will tell you, if you are watching war around you, you grow up real quick, right? When you're watching your family and your friends be killed and bayoneted, like it's, you're, you're going to grow up pretty fast. Well, this was, this was the way he grew up. When he was 10 years old, he got to go with his dad on one of his diplomatic missions over to Paris. And what's really fun, there, there's a letter from Abigail that she writes John Quincy Adams. She says, hey, I haven't heard from you in a couple months. And, 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 and I, I, I feel terrible because I want to know if you're okay. I don't know what's happened to you and I hope you're okay. But she writes him in this letter, some encouragement. She says, now, while you're in France, they're not like we are. So you need to be, don't be like them, right? They don't know Jesus. You need to be different. So part of what she says in this letter, it's, it's great. She says, adhere to those religious sentiments and principles which were early instilled into your mind. And remember, you are accountable to your maker for all your words and actions. Now, some of us, right? Remember, I, I had a grandmother when, when I was young. I could go play. I could be gone for hours, right? They didn't know where I was. They, they didn't care. They weren't worried. But if I was gonna go play with my friends, if I was gonna do something, my grandmother had this finger that would come up. She would say, you remember, God is always watching, right? Like you can go have fun, but, but you're gonna still be accountable. This is what Abigail is telling her son, right? God is always watching. All right, folks, out of time for today. We're gonna get the conclusion tomorrow. So, so far this week, this presentation from Tim Barton started on Monday. We got the middle of it today, and tomorrow we're going to get the conclusion. You can get all three links at our website, wallbuilders.show. That's wallbuilders.show. I know for years I've said go to wallbuilderslive.com. No more. Now you go to wallbuilders.show, and you can quickly get the links to each of our programs you might have missed over the last few days, including yesterday, the beginning of Tim's presentation at the Pro Family Legislators Conference. Today we got the middle, and tomorrow, as I said, we'll get the conclusion. So make sure you join us and you share it with your friends and family. Thanks for listening to The Wall Builder Show.